Welcome to the Outside Cast, recorded inside, if we can all deal with that. Anyway, before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, right now is a good time for you to check out the last podcast I posted, which was a, a short, about 30-minute podcast that I did with uh, Mark Blanchard from Blanchard Family Wines. Um, this wasn't, this was more than just, I mean, don't look at this as an infomercial. This was actually a nice exploration of this guy, of, of Mark's life, um, how he co-founded Blanchard Family Wines with his brother James and how they got to where they are now. And it's really fascinating in, in, interview. It's It's good to know the back history of these things because these are small businesses that need your support even more than ever right now. Um, they got, as you know, 2017 Cabernet. Uh, someone reached out to me yesterday on Twitter and told me that they went into Blanchard in the dairy block and got themselves that 2017 Cabernet and loved it. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not wrong. Get yourself some of that 2017 Cabernet. They also got Pinot. They got Syrahs. They got some red blends. They got some basically anything you need. Um, they also had partnerships with Western Slope um, wineries that uh, uh, are really, really good um, representatives of the state of Colorado, Restoration Storm Cellars. And there's a, one that they, they uh, have in the uh, Elk Mountains of Colorado that's uh, really good, too. Uh, go to bfwdenver.com if you are not quite ready to be going out. Um, get yourself a bottle of wine. Get some of that 2017 Cabernet. Um, but they got many other bottles of wine. They also got accessories and products that you can uh, that go with your um, wine. They also got charcuterie, all that stuff that you really want to go with your experience. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, they're on bfwdenver.com and Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast I sent you there. All right, what is up, everybody? Uh, outside cast, recorded inside. Yes, sometimes this happens. No, I don't care. Okay, got some questions from you good folks. Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, a question from Dr. Glazer about um, about JaVale McGee. And the one, I kind of wanted to talk about this because I, I I, this, this saves me from talking more about it later in the week in a regular more cast. Um, uh, Gordon Glazer asks, why is Malone not playing uh, JaVale McGee more? Why not toss bowl in games and when we get far behind and scoring is um, sclerotic? Um, I don't know the, the answer to the McGee question. I have theories. Um, and I will say, just from my own perspective, with JaVale McGee, it's that there is an issue with trying to incorporate a big into a lineup where you have Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green. Uh, I've said this before many times on the podcast, but the... Um, the Nuggets issue as it stands is largely based on what they want to do with Paul Millsap. Um, how Millsap's 
um, let's see, how Millsap's approach uh, to this is going to affect, and his, his lack of uh, athleticism right now is going to affect the way they do rotations. Um, let's not bury the lead in the fact that Jermichael Green's also struggled a bit. Um, and it's mostly because the combination of Jamichael and Millsap uh, has some highs, but they have mostly lows. They just, I don't know if it jibes. And unless Jamichael Green is hitting threes, it doesn't seem like it make, it's a, something that makes total sense. Um, you noticed last night when JaVale McGee was in there how freed up the team was, uh, particularly the second unit. And it's mostly because all JaVale knows his role. Um, in 2000. You know, from 2011 to 13, when he or 14, when he was here the last time, um, JaVale uh, was good at certain things, but he didn't know his role, and that affected everything. Um, I don't think that the I think the JaVale that has come eight years later or seven years later back to Denver is a much more mature individual who knows exactly what he can do. And you saw it yesterday; he knew knows that he can affect shots. Uh, and he can screen and roll and get and clean up clean up the boards. That's exactly what he does, and he does it well. And sometimes that is a one hundred percent what is needed. And I think that is what is needed in the second unit. Um, you need a big guy to come in there who can. I mean, he played fifteen minutes yesterday. If you can get steal fifteen minutes at the center spot, think about how much rest Nikola Jokic is going to get before we get into the playoffs and the meat grinder that is the playoffs. Um, I don't know why Bull, I, I know why Bull doesn't get more time is because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, Bull needs to really progress significantly before he gets a lot of playing time. Um, he will continue to get garbage minutes when the Nuggets are blowing up opponents, but it's just that for the foreseeable future, that's what you're going to get from Bull. Um, for JaVale, I think everyone sees the same thing. I think Malone, uh, just in my view, he probably is intellectually aware of the problem, but his heart is not there quite yet, and his heart needs to be there. I'll just put it to you that way, and I'll leave it at that. All right. Question number two comes from uh, let's see, this guy's name here comes from a guy named Tim Miller. Um, thanks for tuning in, man. Uh, I'd like to know the best nugget locker room guy ever. Locker room guy. Well, that's a broad, kind of a broad, uh, thing because locker room guy has evolved in the years since, um, in the years since, uh, there have been a definition of locker room guys. Um, wow, that's a that's an interesting question because I never really I never really thought about that. There have been good locker room guys. Uh, Tommy Hammonds back in 1994 was actually a really good locker room guy, and I met Tommy Hammonds in 2014 at the anniversary of the of the uh, team, the 93 94 team. Um, he he was a great locker room guy, very well liked, um, and then, and I'm assuming the definition of the locker room guy would be not 
necessarily the best. Not not maybe maybe a guy who's there to kind of bring the locker room together. Maybe not always the best guy. I'll be honest with you. Uh, the the peak locker room guy ever in Nuggets history was Lafonso Wells. Just an all around tremendous human being who everyone liked. And when he got injured in 1994, uh, you could tell because the locker room stopped being the same. And that significantly, I'm not afraid of sharing this, significantly led to Dan Issel's res- resignation in 1995. Um, Fonz was just a great, had a great effect on the locker room. And he's probably right there. I'm biased because obviously, obviously I, I, that is my favorite team, Nuggets team of all time. Um, but going through the list, I mean, there have been good and bad locker room. In my time with covering the Nuggets, uh, Al Harrington, actually, was a great locker room guy. Um, Al Harrington was uh, uh, an interesting fellow. He, he still has, I believe he still semi-lives out here in Denver at times. Um, he is big in the marijuana business out here. And, uh, I think, I think of the people I have experienced through my time covering the team, uh, Al Harrington was probably right up there with some of the best guys. Uh, there's a great video, if you guys can check it out, of he and Danilo Gallinari when they were both New York Knicks, um, singing Halo by uh, Beyonce. Um, that is a, uh, that is... This is something that you need to check out uh, if you could still find it. Uh, it's an old video from the early days of YouTube, but you can you can find it out there. It's a good it's good good video. You'll you'll enjoy it. All right, before I get to the rest of the uh, of the podcast, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. For some, the draft is the most exciting day of the season. I am not one of those people, but for some. For others, it's a chance to build on last year's success. Whether your team's had the first pick, first pick or last, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing the excitement to you. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is adding the thrill of the draft with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. If a quarterback is drafted overall, first overall on Thursday night, Turning $1 into $100 in free bets is simple. All you have to do is place a wager on any draft day outcome, and you'll be eligible to win $100 in free bets if a quarterback is selected first overall. Think you know how your team is going to do in this year's draft? Put your money where their mouth is and bet on it with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign in to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is letting you turn $1 into $100 in free bets if a quarterback is selected first this Thursday night. Don't forget, enter code MHS during sign-up. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Winnings paid out in free bets. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, last question is from Trey Mitchell. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Trey asks, if you could be any superhero, which superhero would you be? Okay. Um, I am not on the super, big on uh, the superhero thing. I will be quite honest with you. Um, I never have been. It's, it's, 
it missed me. Um, and that's not a generational thing. I mean, my friends, I've got a whole bunch of friends who are really into comic books and superheroes and all that stuff. Um, the one that I did glom onto was Batman. Um, and, and I think rather than me saying who, who could I, who would I be? I would rather go into why I like Batman to be quite honest with you, because I don't see myself in a superhero way. Um, it's hard for me to think, well, this is what I would be because I, I just, my, my brain doesn't think that way. However, thinking about, uh, Batman and thinking about how a, and I said this on Twitter a while back, a well done Batman movie is peak high concept cinema. Um, and high concept is basically things like comic books and superheroes and all that stuff. Uh, basically, it's the peak of that because you get basically every element of cinema inside that one thing. You got the superhero aspect, you got drama, you got noir, you also got horror, a little bit of horror. You got a whole bunch of things mixed in. That's why I thought the Joker movie that came out in 2019 was really good because it like, it was it was the only way you could do it, right? Um, Marvel movies tend to be safe, and I don't mean that as an insult. But you can't say go too risky with a Marvel movie, largely because it's owned by Disney. These 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 franchises, but uh, you can also like see how there's a restriction. Because of how these, what these superheroes are in that universe, as to kind of holding you from getting to the darker side of humanity. There's no such limits on Batman, uh, and maybe the only one. Now you could argue that Daredevil had had some of that, which I, I would not argue with you with, particularly when you get to some of the Netflix stuff. Uh, there was some stuff with Daredevil that got kind of dark. Uh, and the Punisher, uh, they got kind of dark, actually really dark. The Punisher is basically the darkest of all the <laughs> of the comic book, quote-unquote, heroes. He's very much an anti-hero. But you can say the same thing about Watchmen. So one of the reasons I like The Boys is because it takes, as, as the huge British term, it takes the piss out of comic book characters. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I like that, because I'm a Gen Xer, so I, I, like, I like subverting everything, you know. Um... And taking cynical views on absolutely everything. That's just the way we're wired. But Batman is the only one you can project all aspects of cinema onto. And I'm a big cinema fan. So if you're going to do a Batman movie, and a good one, you could take a subject, turn it, twist it as dark as possible, or not, and you could still be a plausible Batman movie. There are things you can do with the character and the universe of Gotham, blah, blah, blah. You could do all of that within the Batman frame of mind. And like I said, it really is the only comic book character you can do that. And I appreciate that. Like I said, Trey, I'm not a guy who I've never envisioned myself as a superhero. That's just not, it's not a, I have nothing against it. I just, my brain can't go there because I, I just don't think of it that way. Um, so reversing that a bit, Batman's still my favorite of all time. Even the campy, you know, boom, pow, pib, biff, you know, stuff from Adam West is kind of campy fun, right? 
it, it is it is my personal favorite of all the comic book uh, heroes, and uh, probably always will be. Even the Tim Burton movies, actually. Uh, the Tim Burton movies are uh, particularly the first one. Um, I may do a Gen X movie show on Burton's first Batman movie. Uh, I will leave you with this anecdote. Jack Nicholson didn't take a salary on Batman. He got points. Uh, Nicholson's been in the movie business enough to know, long enough to know, that the value of a movie is largely in uh, the profits it makes. And points uh, on a movie are basically percentage after you make back your uh, what you spend. So if, they're, if a movie has a $20 million budget, they don't add in distribution costs or anything like that. So they, uh, whatever, on top of that, you get the what is known as uh, points with whatever the, the gross is. And uh, points being percentage. And Nicholson made more money off Batman than he did any other movie. Because he forewent his salary just to, and just got the, got a, it's what it's called the back end. And it's one of the best business decisions ever. It's like, it kind of not quite on the same scale, but kind of like George Lucas owning the toy distribution rights for Star Wars uh, in the 70s from Fox. That, that is, uh, that's kind of in that territory. But Jack Nicholson getting money on the back end for that with, with, with a movie that ended up being mega, mega, mega successful is uh, legendary. That's just why we all love Jack. All right, well, thank you all for joining me on the latest outside cast that was recorded inside because it's too loud outside. I'll be back with another Mortcast really soon. Ta-ta.